Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, anyways, let's do a study before this study. And what's happening in these days, I really encourage all of us to continue in a daily reading of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. You know, the current circumstances are bringing on so many emotions, and from my perspective, we are approaching one of the most uh, devastating circumstances through basically physical means, setting aside the spiritual, which is a very big mistake. Got a little slide here. For most of us know about spiritual warfare, but are we entering into that arena? Very important question. Most of us know about spiritual warfare. You as believers, you know about it. An unbeliever, you're going to become aware of it, as I share this morning. Or are we just letting our emotions and the physical aspects of what is happening overtake our lives? Overtake our lives emotionally, mentally, and maybe even physically. Worry, anxiety, it can cause stress, which will affect your life. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13. Now again, if you're new or visiting, we encourage you, grab a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, let us know on email, office at ccfqc.org. And we'll make sure that we get you a Bible. But I'm sure you have a Bible in your house. And you might not be familiar with your Bible. That's okay. Take time. Uh, Let's throw that slide up there again. Because we're going to be having slides uh, going on throughout the uh, study here. So Ephesians chapter 6, you'll notice the team prepared a slide here. And in this slide, they list two uh, chapters before the reference and two uh, chapters, two books before the reference and two books after the reference. You'll also notice all those little colored uh, rectangles at the top of the slide. And you'll notice the little white cross. That's where you will find the book that we're turning to in your Bible. So don't be afraid, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Get your Bible, find a Bible, turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, so that we can hear what the Word of God tells us as believers that we should be doing in these days, whether good days or bad days. So let's look at those verses, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to believers, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the tactics of the devil, the schemes of the devil, spiritual warfare. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual a host of wickedness in heavenly places. There we see the spiritual warfare that is taking place. For you as an unbeliever, looking at that verse right there, there is spiritual warfare taking place. And yet we wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not a a flesh and blood battle. There is a spiritual battle going on. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So now let's break this down a little bit. So the word here instructs us to take on a responsibility. Myself as a believer to take on a responsibility. And what is that responsibility? To be strong in the Lord. Not to be strong in Jim. And the power of my might to be strong in the Lord. To put on spiritual armor, which basically is talking about the word of God. Putting and taking the word of God into my life, over my mind. And to withstand those evil forces. Notice at the end of verse 13. And having done all to stand. To stand. So the idea here is to be ready or be prepared for the spiritual battles that are going to take place. And again, I just said there's not a physical battle. Yes, there is a physical battle, but don't forget the spiritual battle. 
And again, I think most of us are forgetting the spiritual battle. Not if they will take place, but when they take place. You see, as we continue to read, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God, we become settled in what is happening around us because we know God has a plan. And this goes back to the peace of God. Even in the midst of a trial or a tribulation, as we go through those emotions, those anxieties, those fears, those worries, as believers, we submit those to Jesus. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. And by doing that, the Holy Spirit brings peace into our lives that we would never get otherwise. No drug, no alcohol, no amount of sex will ever give us that peace. It's the only peace that God can give to us. And so it's very, very important. The next part of God's plan is for Jesus to return to this earth as a believer. This is very important for you to hear. I was sharing with someone this earlier in the week, and they said, well, you know, my church doesn't talk about those things. That's sad. Because Jesus said he is coming back. And he's coming back for the church specifically. His bride. Believers. He's coming back to take them home to heaven. That is totally scriptural. Yet so many churches will not teach this because they they think it's going to cause fear. They think that people will, they'll stop coming to church if they hear that. (laughs) No, they'll... Keep coming to church because it's a comfort to know that Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church. But before he's coming back for the bride, his church, Jesus said very specifically that the days will become very evil, that they will become worse. That is just a fact. And again, you might be ready to click off Facebook because you don't want to hear this. But I encourage you to stay tuned and to hear the truth. God loves you. And God desires a relationship with you. But it is going to get worse. And the Bible told us this so we can find comfort in that, knowing that God's plan is being fulfilled. You see, the disciples, because you might be thinking, I'm not getting this. Well, let me break it down a little bit for you. You see, the disciples didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. The disciples believed from the Old Testament that Jesus was to be a conquering Christ. That Jesus was to overthrow Rome and and they were going to rule and reign over Rome with Jesus. They didn't understand that Jesus came to be a suffering servant. To go to the cross that he might be the ultimate sacrifice for sin which all of mankind commits. As I mentioned earlier, I received Jesus in 1978. I was a sinner acknowledging I needed a Savior. The Holy Spirit came within me, and now I have the peace as a saint, which unfortunately still sins, but a whole lot less because of God's Word. I have the peace that surpasses understanding. Do you have that peace? If not, God desires to give you that peace. Will the trials and tribulations end? No, we'll still have them. But you will have the peace that no one will be able to take from you and that possibly no one will be able to explain except for you because you have peace with God and you've made peace with God. So part of God's plan is for things to get worse But before that happens, or as that happens, we're going to be continuing looking for Jesus, the Christ, not looking for the Antichrist. And as we do that, we're not going to get caught up in all the emotions and the physical aspects of what is happening around us, but we'll go through those things, not trying to avoid them or go around them, but go through them. Because those things are trying to distract us from God's ultimate plan. It's a perfect plan of calling his children home with Jesus, the bride. The church is the bride. So what's the solution? Well, for us believers, let's ask for more of the Holy Spirit so that we'll see what's happening 
not just in the here and now, but what's possibly happening in the spiritual world as well. Luke eleven thirteen says this, If you then being evil, speaking of earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, God will give us more of the Holy Spirit in order to stand against the tactics of our spiritual enemy. As an unbeliever, if you acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, if you admit that, you repent from those sins, you turn to God and ask for the gift of salvation, He will give it to you freely. And then you will receive Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you. And then you will understand what I'm saying. Before then, you will not understand. For the natural mind cannot understand spiritual things. But the spiritual mind can understand all things. And I receive a spiritual mind when I receive Jesus as my Savior and the Holy Spirit comes within me. Then I can start to see the bigger picture. Well, that was a study before the study. Let's look at Acts chapter 14, 15, Acts chapter 15, and get into our text. Again, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Acts verse by verse on Sunday morning. Uh, Pastor Durrell is doing the book of Romans. Well, he finished up the book of Romans. He's going to be moving into the gospel of Mark on Wednesday nights. And so we encourage you to tune in on Wednesday nights. But in Acts 15, let's read our text. We're going to cover verses 1 through 10. Acts 15, 1 through 10. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. And some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God, putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Father, we just... Again, thank you for this time. We thank you for the internet. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to share the truth that you love all of humanity. There is not a person alive that you do not love. You love them. The question is, have they received that love so that they might love you back? That's truly the only way to know how to love you is by receiving the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you for the free gift of the Holy Spirit by faith, by grace, for salvation. And, Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching that you would be glorified in and through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at our our text here. The historians place this meeting in the original late 40s or early 50s, the original. 
So we'll say that it's been roughly 20 years since Pentecost. You remember that it was on that day of Pentecost that Peter was used by God to open the door of salvation to the Jews, and we find that in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 8, we find Philip, who was one of the deacons in the early church. He was used by God to bring the gospel, that message of salvation, to the Samaritans, which surprised the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. You know, unfortunately, the Jews despise the Samaritans, and the Samaritans despise the Jews. But God was reaching out to both groups, showing them that Jesus did indeed love the whole world. This almost sounds like the Republicans and the Democrats. Well, you see, God loves every Republican, and God loves every Democrat. As I've already said, God loves every single person on the face of this earth. But do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Or are you a part of an affiliation? And that affiliation means more to you than God does. These are serious questions that you have to ask yourself and evaluate. Because God needs to be number one. No other affiliation. And so, it's been roughly 10 years that Peter went to the Gentile house of that Roman centurion Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. You see, God once again confirmed to Peter that Jesus came to save the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, as well as the Jews. You see, initially the church, the the Christian church was nothing but Jews, made up of nothing but Jews. And you see, they had a prejudice against the Gentiles and against the Samaritans. And we see it spelled out in the Bible. You see, the Bible is full of all truth. It doesn't sugarcoat things. And you have a prejudice, and I have prejudices. And we need to get over those prejudices. Well, how do we get over them? Via the Word of God. By submitting our lives to God, because He is our master, and we are the servant, the slave. And it's then that we start to understand that God loves everyone. Why should I have a prejudice against someone that God loves? I shouldn't. Then I need to repent. Ask for forgiveness and ask for more of the Holy Spirit to help me love that person the way that God would have me to love them. That's Christianity. That's the Bible. And so the Bible works very, very well when we see the whole picture. So what we are seeing here this morning is that there are those who are trying to rebuild the wall of works that Jesus had already torn down, thus thus negating the teaching of salvation by grace through faith alone. I bring up this point so that as we study this section, we can see that there are still groups today, still groups today, even under the banner of Christianity, who will attempt to rebuild a wall of separation between the true faith in Jesus relationship Versus a false hope in a system, religion. And a majority of the world's population, if you don't think that's a fact, think about the world's, re- world's population as we approach 8 billion people. They adhere to some sort of religious system of false hope. Roman Catholicism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism... All kind of isms that put their hope in a religious system instead of putting their living hope in the living God via Jesus as their Savior. For Jesus told Nicodemus, a very religious man, a very religious Jew, in John chapter 3, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Not a suggestion, a commandment. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that commandment is still applicable to you and me to this very day. Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So again, the team puts up the slide there. And we want to encourage you, get your Bibles. Find these verses. It's very important that we focus on the Word of God. Not what I'm saying, but the Word of God 
And then hopefully what I say is backed up by the word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh. So again, let's explain this because if you're new, you might not understand these terms. And it's very important for you to understand these terms. If you are a Jew or if you have Jewish blood in you, then you are a Jew. There's two groups of people on the face of the world, even to this day. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile, according to the Bible. So if you do not have Jewish blood in you, then you are a Gentile. Now, we divide things up very too much. We're just crazy. But as we read this, we want to understand the text so we can get the context. When you hear the word Gentile, that's the whole world if you're not a Jew. That's any person, wherever you live. Whatever nationality you are, you're a Gentile, which makes the Bible very simple then and very easy to understand. So again, let's read it. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, so this would be everyone besides a Jew around the whole world, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Very, very important. Blood sacrifice. Most religions to this day require a blood sacrifice. Jesus is the Christian's blood sacrifice. He is the one who has accomplished peace. For he himself, in verse 14, is our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that hostility between Jew and Gentile, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So, as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making, what? What does your Bible say? Thus making peace. The peace that people are looking for. It's right there in front of them. It's Jesus. Because Jesus eliminates any hostilities that we might have against one another. When we focus on Jesus and Jesus alone, the hostility leaves. But no, we try to have our own denomination and say, oh no, we're right. We're the only ones that are right. You have to belong to our church or or you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. It's not scriptural. The scriptures are, you need to belong to God via Jesus as your savior being born again or you will go to hell. Not based on your religion. Not based on you punching the clock. But based on a personal relationship. In verse 16 says, and that he might reconcile them both to God. Notice that. Notice who does the reconciliation. Jesus, both to God in one body, which would be the church, capital C. Now there's churches that have different names on their buildings. But if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you only belong to one church, big C, whether you're in Egypt or India or Russia or Afghanistan, wherever, Canada, Mexico, doesn't matter. There's only one church. And God has reconciled. Jesus has reconciled them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or the hostility. So now let's get to our text. Verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. They taught the Christian. These men were teaching the church, the believers, unless you are circumcised. Because in this day and age, the Gentiles predominantly were not circumcised. Very few Gentiles were circumcised. Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And notice at the end of the verse here. Incredible words. You cannot be saved. Let that sink in. Because what they're saying is a work circumcision 
now saves you. You thought you were saved, but we're here to tell you you're not. And it's the same today, unfortunately, even under the banner of some Christian churches, that if you're not baptized into our church, you're not saved. That's wrong. That's biblically incorrect. No, you're saved when you repent, acknowledge you're a sinner, receive Jesus as your Savior, you're saved. Then we should get plugged into a Bible-believing church, a church that doesn't add anything to what Jesus has already done. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Let's look at verse 5. Because verse 5 gives us some pretty important information. And it might give us a clue as to who these men are. Or at least who sent them to Antioch. In verse 5 we read, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, notice in verse 5, very important, notice that these Pharisees were believers. And I believe they were. They believed that Jesus was their Savior. Rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. It is necessary. Is it necessary? It's not. But they thought it was. Because they brought their religiosity into their Christianity. And we as well can bring our religiosity into our Christianity and start to promote works plus faith equals salvation. I was born and raised as a Roman Catholic, and I was programmed to believe certain things. Well, as I started to read my Roman Catholic Bible, it started to conflict with the teaching. And as I read it and read it and read it, over seven years, I finally came to the realization, I have to either believe the Bible, all of the Bible, or I have to believe church teaching plus the Bible. And when I even went to a priest to ask questions, they would tell me, well, church teaching supersedes our Bible. (laughs) Wrong. Church teaching never supersedes any Bible teaching. It is the Bible alone that we follow. And so be very careful who you're following after, what religion you're following after, what leader you're following after. Make sure that they're in the Bible and they're teaching the Bible wholeheartedly from Genesis to Revelation. It is key that we adhere to biblical truth. So these members sent these believers to Antioch and they wanted to bring the Christian church under the law of Moses. You see, this is a warning for us all. And, it, and we're going to hear this via James. Let's look at James chapter 3, who was a half-brother of Jesus. Yes, Joseph and Mary did have other children. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 will tell you that. Read your Bible. You see, the same man who is going to address those gathered for this meeting, he says this, James 3, 1 through 2, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And even as you're listening right now, I can guarantee some of you that you are judging me right now very strictly. You're saying, no, you are wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Stop talking. Well, if you'd like to get together, feel free, but bring your Bible. I'm not interested in your religious teaching. I'm interested in the Bible. And if you can show me in the Bible that I'm wrong, that we're saved by faith, through grace, alone, I'll be more than happy to talk with you. But if you want to bring your church teachings along with you, I'm not going to meet with you. Because you are dealing with works. You have to face the facts. The word of God, you're saved by faith, through grace, alone. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 10 through 13. Let me read this. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. Notice this. If, if you're not a saint, you're an ain't. If you're not a believer, you're an unbeliever. So this writing here is specifically for the saints. 
And this is what the pastor is supposed to be doing in the church. For the work of the ministry. We as pastors, assistant pastors, deacons, elders, home group leaders, anyone that's teaching the word of God, as we teach the word of God, we are supposed to be drawing a unifying factor that we might send the disciples, the other believers, out into the world to teach that unifying factor. For the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up of the body, till we all come in unity of the faith, so that every believer would come to that same unity, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a mature person, word man there, male, female, mankind, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, be just like Jesus. And Jesus, when you read the Gospels, loved every single person. He loved the Samaritan. He loved the Gentile. He loved the Jew. He was not prejudiced. He loved every person that crossed his path. That's what Christianity is all about. You see, when a believer teaches the word, it should bring forth a unifying factor of the faith that we are no longer under the law of Moses. Yet again, there are those even today who will attempt to bring people back under the law. You see, God used the early apostles to teach us about grace. So I think it would be a good idea for all of us as believers to stick to that calling. Continuing to teach the unbeliever as well as the believer about the simplicity of salvation by grace through faith alone. But to help us understand the situation that is before us in our text and why someone might try to bring people under the law, capital L, or under a law, their own church law, like I mentioned before, well, if you're not baptized into our church, you're not saved. That would be a law, not the law, the law that Moses brought forth. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Let us look at, it, at the depth of the tradition in the law, the Torah, and how the religious Jews in these verses were looking at this new belief system called Christianity. Exodus 12, 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he shall eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. And then let him come near and keep it. Notice the requirement right there. And he shall be as native of the land. So a Gentile who wants to seek God, serve God, become a child of God, needed to be circumcised. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. God speaking to Moses. Now, thus all the children of Israel did, commentary here, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So we can see that even though these men were maybe sincere in their beliefs of the law, they were sincerely wrong in their teaching of salvation. I mentioned to you earlier I had to leave the faith I was born and raised in. Why? Because it was wrong. It was biblically incorrect. And as I left, I had to debug the program because I was programmed to believe certain things. And I had to take the word of God from Genesis to Revelation and wash my mind of that false teaching to become in line with the true teaching of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now, let me just interject here. I'm in no way saying that I alone have the truth. I'm speaking for every Bible-believing Christian Every Bible-believing Christian has the Word of God, so they have the truth. But you need to be reading the Word of God to make sure that you're walking in that truth, that you are saved by faith alone, and that you don't add to the finished work of the cross, because then you've become a religion. You've added to the relationship. You see, true biblical Christianity is Jesus plus nothing 
equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So if you add anything to being saved, Jesus plus your Bible reading, Jesus plus your prayer life, Jesus plus you giving of money to the church, Jesus plus you knocking on doors, Jesus plus you reading other books, you're adding works. And it nullifies salvation. Salvation is by faith alone, according to the word of God. Well, back in Acts 15, verse 2, Therefore, when Barnabas and Paul, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. You see, Paul had come to grips with the difference between the law and grace years prior to the situation. So he was not going to let a bunch of religious people come in and ruin the freedom and blessings that come through grace. Now again, just because we have grace, this does not give us the freedom to go out and willingly sin. That's never implied in the Bible anywhere. Never. So you need to debug that program out of your brain. Grace does not encourage us to go out and sin, ever. God would never approve of that. But some people have been programmed to believe that. Well, be careful of grace. You better be careful about grace because if you think too much about grace, you're just going to go out and sin like crazy. No, you're not. You're going to become very thankful about the grace that God has given to you. But in the verse here, notice that there was no small dissension and dispute. The word dissension means a standing or position. Paul and Barnabas, they had a standing and position. These other believers that had come up from Jerusalem had a standing and a position. Dispute means searching a subject or question or debate. Searching a subject or question or debate. Paul and Barnabas had searched the scriptures. They were willing to debate in a loving way, not shutting anyone down, not yelling louder than someone else, but having a civil discussion, a debate to arrive at the conclusion of the matter. Very important in these days that we're living in. You see, Paul and Barnabas again stood their ground knowing the scriptures. The situation was calling, causing confusion which is always our spiritual enemy's desire. So the church in Antioch, they did the best. They did the right thing. They sent a delegation back to Jerusalem to discuss this issue with the believers in Jerusalem. Verse 3, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. Notice what they did. They didn't go through these other new believers and talk to them about the law. They talked to them about the Gentiles becoming believers. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. There was a tremendous work that was taking place, and they were talking about the grace of God, not the law, not the first five books of the Old Testament. This brought tremendous joy to the church, and there was no contention between the fellowships. And again, we will see this in religions. There'll be contentions in, against religions because, well, you don't, you don't belong to my religion, so there's contention. Well, you know, I've been to Egypt on missionary work. I've been to Israel, been to Mexico, I've been around this country. And when I come into the presence of a, of a believer, even though I don't know the language because I need an interpreter, there's a oneness. It's Jesus it's not the name on our church building because they have a different name on their building. But they have Jesus, which makes us one. That eliminates this disunity that takes place amongst the world's religions. There was no contention between the fellowships. They were saved by grace and they knew it. So they rejoiced over the new converts who had been set free as well. You see, Paul didn't try to bring up the discussion about the law into these young fellowships. I mentioned this earlier. Here's the slide. But rather exhorted them about the grace of God. And guys, we'd be wise to do the same and stay away from the rules and regulations that religions bring upon themselves. Verse 4, 
Acts 15. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. So there now is this interesting meeting that took place. And what's interesting is there was another meeting. I'm going to take a little sidetrack here that took place roughly about this same time frame, and it fits perfectly into our text. I would encourage you to read Galatians chapter 2. Not now, but this week at some point. Galatians chapter 2. There was a meeting that took place between Paul, Barnabas, and the leaders of the church at Jerusalem. In verses 1 through 10 of Galatians chapter 2, it gives us details about that meeting that took place. And then verses 11 through 21 shows us that Peter was on his way back to Asia where he had been ministering and he came to Antioch and was present when some believers who were living under the law arrived. And Peter fell into the trap of trying to please man instead of God. Even after all these years and experiences with the Lord, Peter once again shows us that he was human by falling into the sin of hypocrisy hypocrisy peter went back to the law instead of abiding in grace paul called peter to repent of his actions peter did and this morning we see the two once again in jerusalem and we can know for certain that peter knew exactly where paul stood theologically as far as grace versus the law was concerned verse 5 But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, and I mentioned this earlier, so they were believers, rose up saying, it is necessary. Notice that. It is necessary. They have to. They have to be circumcised and to command them to keep the law of Moses. All 613 commandments. It's impossible. If you are a Jew and you're out there trying to do it, you are going to fail. Paul, who was a Pharisee, who knew the first five books of the Bible word perfect, he realized he failed. It was impossible. And Paul even says, if you fail in one law, you failed the whole law. So if you can't be perfect, which you're not, you will not be saved. If you're trying to be saved according to your works, you will never be saved. You are going to fall way, way short. You see, certain Jews, religious Jews, desired to bring Christianity under the law of Moses. Very detrimental. Verses 6 and 7, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute... Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, again, notice how they came together. They didn't pick sides and cause hatred. They came together to talk, to debate, a healthy debate. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Very interesting here. Let's break this apart. Because this meeting, or what is often called a council, is taking place where this issue of the Gentiles needing to become circumcised will be decided. Very important. Those who brought their religious perspectives to Antioch were now debating the issue with the brethren in Jerusalem. Again, healthy debate. And once again, we can see that this is a very deep concern from within the church. Some who were believers in grace were leaning towards the law of Moses. Peter finally interrupts and goes back to the basics of the Christian faith. He mentally takes them back 10 years to the house of Cornelius, that Roman centurion. He was a Gentile. And how those Gentiles who were gathered in his house heard the word of God, became saved. They received Jesus as their savior. The Holy Spirit came in them and upon them and they were transformed just as Peter and the other 119 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost were transformed. Peter is sharing this roughly 20 years later. You see, religiosity, it takes a while to debug the program. And these believers, these Pharisees who were believers, were still trying to debug the program. Well, maybe they weren't trying. 
And Peter is telling them, you have to debug the program. This is not acceptable. Thank God for that. We'll finish that up next week. But it's very, very important. Because man tries to meet the requirements of certain religious laws so that he has something to brag about. But when you stop to really think about those laws due to our human nature, the laws breed rebellion. Paul admits this. Paul admits that he was covetous. In trying to meet the law, we end up breaking the law in so many areas. You see, people typically become very judgmental and condemning. Notice that. People typically become very judgmental and condemning. This law was about God's love for mankind. Thus, they were actually breaking the very law that they were trying to uphold. Because they were bringing in judgment, division, dissension. They were condemning. But where grace is taught and exemplified, it encourages obedience in the life of those who practice it. You see, the issue of requirement, the law, versus the issue of relationship, grace. This is what is being dealt with right now in this meeting or in this council. The issue of requirement, the law, versus the issue of relationship, grace. Well, let's read what, Paul, what Peter says in verses 8 and 9. So God, who knows the heart, notice that Peter goes on to say, God knows where you stand. Acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by works. Is that what your Bible says? No. Purifying their hearts by faith and faith alone, not by works, by faith, Jew and Gentile. A heart transformation took place within the hearts of these men and women who were gathered at Cornelius' house through faith. Those who previously followed after flesh and fulfilled their fleshly desires through sin were now seeking after the Spirit, desiring to appropriate the holiness of God. Those who used to participate in sexual immorality to find love have now find that tr- found that true love waits and is based on purity. You will notice that when a person becomes born again, they will typically turn away from a lifestyle of sin They'll never be sinless, but we should be sinning less. And seek after the ways of righteousness or being right with God. Not self-righteousness, but being right with God day in, day out, hour by hour, minute by minute. There's usually a drastic change in lifestyle over a short period of time. Their hearts have been changed by the grace of God, which brings about a change in their outward actions. But religion will try to change the outward appearance or actions in hope that the heart will follow. It has never worked and it never will. Try this with your two or three-year-old and you will see that they are stinking little sinners. They may be sitting in the high chair, but they're thinking in their minds, I'm standing up, I'm standing up. Rebellion is in the heart. Rebellion is in the heart. Religion tries to change the outward appearance of a desperately wicked heart, and it never works. Only the Holy Spirit can transform this desperately wicked heart. And that's what happened to the Jews on Pentecost. That's what happened to the Samaritans. That's what happened to the Gentiles. And that's what can happen to you if you do not have Jesus as your Savior this morning. Let's wrap it up in verse 10, Acts chapter 15. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting on a yoke? The neck on... Let's start all over again. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers, 613 commandments, nor we were able to bear... Peter makes it very clear here. You as a Jew, I as a Jew, we couldn't fulfill the law. 
Why should we take that same requirement and put it on the Gentiles? We couldn't do it. What makes you think they can do it? Because they're not going to be able to do it. Clear distinction. Let's wrap it up with some verses as the music team starts to come up and we get ready for a closing song. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It's by grace, through faith alone, that we've been saved. Don't go back to works. Don't try to add to your salvation works. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Again, we'll put up the slide there. Grab your Bible. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So again, if you're an unbeliever watching you, God has forgiven you all trespasses at the cross. You are forgiven. But have you appropriated that forgiveness? If you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior, you have not, you have not appropriated that forgiveness. So you are still guilty. You are still guilty. You're not a saint. You need to admit your sins. Repent. And ask Jesus to become your Savior. Having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. Remember, spiritual warfare. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, so that no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That's religion. Oh, you have to do it our way or you're not saved. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the body, who is the head? Jesus is the head of the church. So holding fast to Jesus, from whom the whole body nursed and knit together by joints and ligaments, and the body of Christ is every believer makes up the body of Christ. So if you're listening and you're a believer and you're not in fellowship, if you don't belong to a church, you need to get plugged into a church when this scenario is over because you are a vital part of the body of Christ. Yes, Jesus is everywhere, God's everywhere, the Holy Spirit's everywhere, but you are a vital member of the body of Christ and we need you and you need us. You need to get plugged in and not believe the lie of separation and isolation. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You need to be in church, a Bible-believing church. And not, holding fast to, and, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Don't go down religion's path and forget Jesus. No, he's, he's the head. Matthew 23, 1 through 4. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. This is speaking of religion. And lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You'll never accomplish in religion what Jesus has done on the cross. And then we'll wrap it up with Matthew 11. 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Jesus speaking to those who are gathered. And Jesus is speaking to you this morning, right now in the word of God via this Facebook live stream. Come to me, Jesus speaking, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will Give you rest. God will meet you and God will give you peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will, notice that in your Bible, you will find rest for your souls. 
not just your physical body and mind, but your soul, that inner part of you that you're still trying to fill that void with drugs or alcohol or sex or or a career or a hobby or whatever it might be. You're still trying to fill it and it's not being filled. It never will be. You need to allow Jesus to fill that void. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden of religion is not light. The burden of relationship is that yoke, that imagery of two animals pulling the plow. You have the lead ox and you have the other ox. Jesus is the lead. He pulls. We just come alongside. We follow. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you that we as believers, we don't want to go back into religion We don't want to bring something from our previous religious practices into Christianity. We just want to be sold out for you, God. We just want to be sold out for you and live Christian lives, having no prejudices, refraining from judgment and condemnation, speaking the truth in love which others will take on as judgment and condemnation. It's not judgment and condemnation. It's warning that Jesus is coming back. That sin will not get us into heaven. Only the precious blood of Jesus will get us into heaven. So Father, we thank you as believers that when you look at us, you see Jesus. We are holy and unblameable in your sight. You know, maybe there's an unbeliever out there watching. You've hung in there. I commend you for that. This is the most important thing right now for you. If you're, if you're understanding what I've said, that, that yes, I, I get it, I am a sinner. I do fall short. I'm not perfect. I'm not even religious. I, I, but I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> then God is granting you repentance right now. If, you choose. if I have a gift and I hold out my hands to you, you need to reach out your hands to receive it. And you accept the gift. I don't shove it into your hands. You freely accept it. So if you'd like to freely accept the gift of salvation this morning, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and it's not about the prayer. It's about your heart. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, you just reach out your hands right where you're at and just humbly say this prayer. God, I need you. I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. So I repent. I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Father. And I ask Jesus to be my Savior. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life. I don't really understand, but I'm going to trust that you're going to show me. As I pray, as I read the Bible, as I get together with other Bible-believing Christians, I'm going to learn the great love that you have for me and the great forgiveness that I just received. God, I thank you that I can now call you my father and that I am now a son that I am now a daughter of yours in Jesus name amen amen well welcome to the family of God if you prayed that prayer well guys you heard the announcements earlier we really miss you guys I miss shaking and hugging and all that good stuff so I pray in the next few weeks we can get back together we'll keep you posted via email, via the website. So just keep checking out the website. All the information about the church here is on the website. 
We're praying for you. Pray for us. And again, remember, we're here throughout the week. So feel free to stop down for prayer or for fellowship or for lunch, whatever the case may be. Uh, If you want to come down and check out our mission lobby, I mentioned earlier on that they were sent. Uh, We have, uh, we support 45 plus missionaries. If you're homeschooling, do a field trip. Bring your children down to the south lobby and look at all the missionaries that are out serving the kingdom of God throughout the whole world that God is allowing us to help support. You're not stuck at home. Get out and do something. Take a field trip. Come visit. God bless you guys. Uh, Let me rephrase that. You are stuck if you're sick. We don't want you. (laughs) Till you get better, then come on down. (laughs) God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.